What's going on, everybody? This is the Men's Wellness Collective Podcast. I am your host, Caleb, joined by my friends Jordan and Dalen. Fellas, you want to introduce yourselves? Going on, everybody. This is Dalen. How's everybody doing? Jordan here. Welcome to another episode. This is episode three, and today we are expounding on the idea of men's wellness in a pretty different way. Um, typically, um, if you've listened to our first two episodes, what we've done is we've brought ideas um, and laid the foundation for some, 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 some more complex conversation. And with today's conversation, what we want to do is build on the ideas we've laid down. And so we've talked about emotional regulation and the foundations of like actually reaching your higher self with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. <clears throat> and there's been this clip floating around the internet of Michael Beasley, basketball player, former K-State. When he played at K-State, I despised him because he destroyed the Jayhawks. He was one of those players that, like, every time we played K-State, we knew we had to, we knew we had to lock up Beasley. And there was nothing on the planet we could do. (laughs) There was nothing you could do. He was an amazing basketball player. And he got to the league and he just struggled for some odd reason. And obviously, like, there's a difference of, there's a different level of talent when you go from college where everyone else is your age and, like, your build and your size relatively to the league where their monster is, like, at that time, Tim Duncan. Um... This was Derrick Rose coming into the league. People like Jimmy Butler were still on the bench. <laughs> this is 08 basketball. Um, LeBron is a monster at this point, but like he's still a baby monster. He's not the the, the problem that he is now. But Beasley, he's not in his final form. He's, he hasn't found his final form yet. LeBron is still LeBron was still developing. Um, but Beasley never just never seemed to really click anywhere he went. He had he had uh, quote unquote. Uh, behavioral issues in Miami. He had attitude issues in Phoenix. He never really stuck around anywhere. And it was just one of those stories of like, why can't this guy get it together? And then we get this episode of the Pivot Podcast and we get his version of stories. And all of a sudden, it all makes sense. So, gentlemen, um, we all watched the, the Pivot Podcast um, if you want to give a quick synopsis of like, what did you think and feel when you were listening to that podcast episode from the pivot specifically, like what were you getting from Beasley himself? Yeah, I think I could start like, first off, anyone listening to this, I'm going to plug that episode of that podcast because so just search like pivot podcast, Michael Beasley It's pretty popular because um, he was very raw and emotional on there and, and, as I watched it, so I, I watched the video version on YouTube. Um, I wanted to see and kind of get a visual for how he was showing up as well. And I just see a guy, I, I was telling you guys before we started recording, like, I've never visually seen someone so guarded. That dude, you could tell, is just carrying a lot of... Um, a lot of hurt and a lot of pain around how he's been treated. And it's just locked him up. Like, he is just closed off. And yet, at the same time, was so vulnerable and authentic and emotional at times around what he went through and kind of how he was painted in the media and kind of how that um, how that influenced 
others' ability or willingness to kind of get close to him and help him out. And these are the issues that we're going to dive into later, so I won't go too too deep on that. But I wanted to cry. I wanted to just – I wanted to <laughs> reach through the – Reach through the TV and like just hug that man because yeah um, I could tell he was carrying so much so that's what I took away from it yeah I think similar for me like I think when you said genuineness of just being able to show that he was holding so much and I saw a guy who was tired and just honestly didn't care anymore of like holding that in and pretending to be okay and it was just like. He had nothing to lose. It was just like, this is it. This is my stuff. And like, I don't care what you think because what, what, what he was doing wasn't working anymore. And he was just like, no, like I got to get this out of here because this is killing me. Yeah. And so like Jordan, like I just felt it. This felt heartbroken. And it was like, ah, oh, that's terrible. Yeah, it, it, it truly is heartbreaking. And like one of the things that we want to get into is like, for so many men, I think that is a common a commonplace of feeling of I've got to be a man. I've got to man up. Um, I am the backup. I am the dam. Like if I go, the water breaks. Um, but often the message is who do I, who else do I go to? Right. Um, and this is this is this is truly like I think the personification of I'm at my limit. Like seeing him so vulnerable, so raw, so honest. I I, f- I felt a lot of empathy. I think I felt the same thing you said, Jordan. I just wanted to like break through the stream and like just give bro a hug. Like you 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 are okay. You are all right as you are. You don't need to be anything more. You don't need to be anything less. Michael Beasley, as you are right here, right now, you are okay. You are all right. You are going to be fine. Um, I think that's I, a good point maybe to like start our conversation. Like exactly. That, what, that statement, what you just said, you are okay as you are. He said something really early on that resonated with, I think, all of us and probably for uh, what a lot of men feel which was, he said, I learned as early as like six, seven years old that I wasn't really cared about um, unless I was good at something, right? And when I heard that, that was sort of like the the real raw version of it, the, the, the heavy version of that sentiment. But you hear that sentiment all the time. And one of the main ones that I think about, just quick tangent on uh, kind of add some humor into it. Chris Rock had a stand up years ago uh, and he talked about like how men are perceived in society. Yeah. He says like if you walk like women and children are loved unconditionally. Men are loved based on what they can do, based on what they can provide. And he he said, you know, if you see a homeless guy on the street, you don't have empathy. Like people don't have empathy for that man because it's like, what did you do or what didn't you do or what didn't you provide to end up in this place? And it said, you know, it's like if you see a guy and a dog, you feel sorry for the dog. If you see a dog on the street, you don't really feel sorry for the guy. Yeah. And I think it's the same idea that somehow society tells boys like who you are just at your core, just your existence isn't good enough. You better go make something of yourself. You better go provide something. You better contribute something to this world, a skill, a talent financially like whatever it is and i think a lot of men carry that 
into adulthood of like, I can't just be. I have to acquire assets. I have to acquire skills. I have to acquire some talents. People have to, I have to be able to bring something to the table to give someone Mm. outside of just showing up and being who I am. Yeah. And it's a matter of fact, it's, yeah, that's, that's, that, that's a great place to start. Um, The idea uh, is passed down. I like how you said that boys are giving that idea to carry and then it becomes their identity. What can I do? What can I bring to the table? Half the time, the expectation is you got to build the table and then put something on the table. (laughs) Um, And then typically, again, you don't learn that. You don't, you don't, you don't, you're, that's not an innate idea. You're not born with that idea implanted into your brain. That's an idea that someone is born with, fed, and then is nurtured. Um, as we talk about nature versus nurture, that idea is bred into you. That idea is nurtured into you. It's, it's either consciously or subconsciously. So what do you see the adults around you doing? What do you see the adults around you saying? What are, what are the messages implicit and explicit that are passed down? And really, the 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 core of this whole Michael Beasley conversation, um, and and this the the importance of this conversation right now is, uh, as a man, as men in general, we should be comfortable with the idea that as we exist without doing anything, without adding anything to the world, we are acceptable. That is. Very contradictory to the popular message out there, and that's fine. We're supposed to be contrarian in those podcasts. We don't want to feed into the negative stereotypes. So if if you are listening to this podcast, man, woman, someone who identifies as whatever on the spectrum, as a human being, let's just go ahead and put out the idea that as you are, before or after anything else that you do, remove the doing. The fact that you just are means you are that 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 enough like that is 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 good enough, mm-hmm. and everything that you do just adds on top of that, right? Yeah, and that yeah. that gets at yeah. the idea of like, how do you see yourself? What is your self worth? Where do you where do you find the idea of self worth? Like, what like how do you see that? And I know based on some of the conversations that I've had and the things that I, I, I've, I'm going through in my own personal therapy is that like, oh, I have to be doing something, valuing something. Um, and if I'm not doing any of those things, then I'm not good enough. And I recently came upon the, um, based on this book, um, The Sublime Object of Ideology. It's like, you're never ever going to see yourself as enough because you're always looking at yourself through the lens of somebody else. Yeah. Go ahead. I think that's the perfect part for uh, Dalen to talk about what he was saying before we started recording because I think it's super powerful. Maybe we can use those kind of lies as a way to uh, help people with like, how do they, how do we start to dismantle some of those beliefs and some of these lies that we we put on us? Yeah, absolutely. I know that's something I've definitely struggled with really as long as I can remember the idea of being enough and like, what am I contributing to whatever I'm involved in, whether it's sports or school or friendships or a relationship. It's like, I have this pressure to 
do something very, very well. Like if I'm average, that's bad. You know, there's that idea of being above average or excellent or all these things. And I can't just show up the way that I am <laughs> and be enough. Um, so the, uh, Caleb, I love how you said the idea of being enough. That is something I have been working on a lot in the last couple of years. Um, but yeah, something my therapist um, brought up was um, these five we tell ourselves about ourselves. Um, I think three of these, I think, pertain to a lot of men, um, particularly me, but it's uh, I'll go through them all. So it's, I'm, I'm not what I do. I'm not what I have. I'm not what others think or say. I am nothing worse than my worst moment, and I'm nothing worse than my best moment. Mm. So I think for me, the I am not what I do and I'm not what others say is really hard to shake because it was always performance driven in sports or in school. Like, what's your GPA? What'd you get on this test? Like, you have to have these very high standards. Yeah, and then yeah, yeah. for me, for someone who always wants to be accepted and loved and like be liked, it's I'm not what others think or say. So if someone has a negative opinion about me, like that's devastating. Yeah. <laughs> like I... I want everyone to like me. I want everyone to think that I'm good or I'm whatever. So it's like those two things are so ingrained and having to let go of those is actually really hard. And I think a lot of people tell us, we tell ourselves these things that look like we need to be good for other people, but can we not just be good enough for ourselves? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really, 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 really good. Um, I love the idea of like, yeah, no matter what people say about you, you're never as bad as they actually say, and you're never as good as they actually say you are. And so living by, uh, which is really, really tough because a lot of, I think, one of the things we're trying to uh, acknowledge is that like a lot of men um, don't get the affirmation that they need as boys. And so it then becomes this um, intrinsic need for affirmation and validation that gets cut off. And then that, that younger self, that, that's, that small version of ourself gets stuck needing that validation. But because it was A, um, not validated, and B, like it was either like negatively reinforced when you go to ask for affirmation and someone responds with uh, be a man or figure it out yourself or what do you need me to do that for you? For? It, be, it begin to breed some of this red pill ideology right? Like, I don't need anybody else. Or um, you can't give me what I can't give myself, which is, it's tricky, because you really do, you really do need to like have a, a some external validation, but it shouldn't be everything. It shouldn't be everything. I, th I think, like, going back to something we talked about last episode about attachment, that need for validation is very real. We're always like, again, I, I think I try to tie everything back to like evolution. When we were in smaller communities, being isolated from your tribe or from your small close knit community was really about survival. Mm -hmm. Because if the group is together and they have shelter and they have fire and they have ways to defend themselves from intruders or, you know, animals or whatever, like you had a better chance of being okay when you were with the group. And so to be outcasted literally put your life in danger. I think we still have remnants of that and why like external validation is a need because to not have it, you're just a loner. 
And for social creatures like us, that's like the psychologically worst thing we could feel is that we're alone and have no one. Right. And I think at least from my experience, like when you don't have that validation that you were talking about as a, as a kid, I, I think it shows up. I think when people hear that, sometimes they can think, well, that's not me. Cause like my, my parents didn't tell me I was this awful kid and, and didn't verbalize to me that like, Oh, you're bad. And that was the case for me. Like I, no one ever came around and told me I was bad where it gets tricky and can kind of become this never ending cycle. If we're not careful is you start to ace things based on reinforcement. Yeah. So for me, let's talk about sports. Okay. I had a bad game. I, I maybe yelled at or chewed out by my coach or the car ride home was really silent because, you know, my, my parents were frustrated that I didn't do so good. So as a kid, I'm internalizing that and no one's telling me you're bad. Right. Looking back on it as a 29 year old person with a fully developed brain, I can think back and go like my parents still loved me, even though I had a bad game, but eight year old version of me is sitting in the back seat going, no one's talking to me. Um, and when they are, they're like kind of frustrated because they're upset that I played bad. I'm bad. I don't want to feel this anymore. So what do I have to do to get not feel positive? Yeah. The, the, the pinnacle, like we pedestalize, oh, but when I get a good game, everyone's happy. We go get a milkshake after the game. Like, oh my gosh, this is what I want. This feels so good. And then we correlate it like, okay, to feel like this, it's, have a good game. And if that was it, fine. But then have a good game becomes mm. do good on the test. And then if someone asks me for help, even if it's going to be stressful for me to do it, like, oh, no, I have to do the right thing. And so everything becomes good. Yeah. Do good. Be the best. And, 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 and it's, like, inescapable and it can never... And it becomes the cycle. It becomes a cycle, right? I need to do good in order to feel good. And as Dalen already said, one of the first lies, I am not what I do. And so if, if, if being good is associated with doing good, that is an inescapable cycle. It is. Right. I, I want to reinstate that. If doing good, if feeling good, sorry, if feeling good becomes intrinsically tied to doing good that is an inescapable cycle you have to believe intrinsically that whether or not what you do good or bad or indifferent you are good and mm -hmm. that's the core like you are good regardless of what you do and then that is when like you can then separate yourself and have some like individualization from your actions and then hold yourself accountable accent okay I did a bad thing in this situation. I performed in this situation in a negative way. Or I did a good thing in this situation. I, I performed, I've performed favorably in this situation. But me being removed from the action and being able to identify those things is then how you're able to like healthily manage those actions, right? Because that's the difference between shame and guilt. That's one of the things that we talk about. Shame says, I and bad yeah. intrinsically intrinsically mm -hmm. i am bad guilt says oh, okay i did something bad 
mm-hmm. and that's removed and that's 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 i think the health that's i mean we all feel shame and we all feel guilt but i can imagine eight-year-old jordan in the back seat it was just like it was a bad game i did my best i don't know what else you want me to do but the car ride is dead silent and you're just like oh i'm still i'm i'm bad i'm not good enough i didn't play well enough and you can see how all those lies can then begin to form around the core person of who you are. And if you're not, if you don't have the language, the teasing, the healthy, secure attachment, that just becomes fused to your core. Yeah. I think another uh, side point about uh, the difference between shame and guilt. Um, guilt itself is actually the core emotion. Shame is not a true core emotion that we are born with. That is a social emotion that we learn about around the age of two years old. So that is something that we learn from the people around us to put onto ourselves. That's huge, right? Because that's that's then how we determine, am I in the group or am I out of the group? Mm. I'm in the group, it's like, keep doing that thing. If I'm out of the group, it's like, do something different. so yeah, that that's a huge point, Dalen. I wanted to ask you. Actually, I think it's something maybe we should all talk about. So one of the lies that you talked about that we tell ourselves <clears throat> that your therapist said was, "I the lie is I'm not what I do. Right, mm-hmm. I'm something different." And I think for a lot of people and men specifically, because I I think historically men attach themselves to their professions, right? Because that's some of the that's one of the biggest avenues to feel like I have purpose. There's, I am this work, right? The three of us are therapists. We're also a number of different roles in our lives. We're dealing your husband, you know, we're brothers, we're sons, we're all these things, we're all these titles. We're former athletes, current athletes, we're business owners, like all these different things. And as someone listening to this, I could find it, overwhelming to be at the front end of that and confronting that lie that like oh none of that is actually who i am well then who who am i right what's that process been like for you um for you guys to kind of break down that like okay i play this role as a therapist it's my profession but a therapist is not who i am Mm -hmm. what have you guys done to kind of start to break down and get some separation from these are things that i do but they're not core to my existence if i'd stop being a therapist tomorrow i don't vanish into thin air i don't lose like a a chunk of me i still exist there's a core me that that remains you know so yeah what's that been like for you guys i think for me it's it's kind of a a catch-22 um because i am in the midst i'm i would say like dead in the middle of my identity for reformation not identity formation but reformation there's as you said there's so many complex things to who i who caleb is how i view myself how i present myself to other people matter of fact my nickname is mookie uh it's a nickname a friend of mine gave me freshman year of college at ku at a halloween party party shout out to josh and barisa um that name like for some reason just stuck and i don't know why and there was so long i actually just introduced myself as mookie because like it's 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 a freeing element right like mookie can be whoever he is caleb adegoke is attached to that adegoke and that last name carries weight 
So for me, one of the things, one of the things that I've been working on is individuation. That is probably the, 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 the easiest way I can explain me separating myself from doing good or performance anxiety that comes around because the weight that my last name carries, being a son of immigrants who came here with very little, actually left a lot back home to come here and start fresh. Uh, what does it mean to be the ones who came to America? Um, what does it mean to be uh, my mother's son, my father's son, these, 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 these families that I come from, um, and making my own path in America, in a country that they are coming to as adults, but I've had to grow up in, right? That's a big difference. Like they're fully formed adults. They had two children when they came here. They had my mom had a master's degree. My dad came here with a master's and got his PhD. They were fully formed adults when they came here. So their identity is solidly Nigerian. Me, I came here at 10, 11, right? So the first 10 years of my life, I'm Nigerian. All of a sudden now I'm American and I have to figure that out. And so understanding who I am apart from the group while being in the group is, is, is the work that I'm, I'm, I'm doing and have been doing. And it's a very difficult but honestly freeing process. So like now, I, I, I understand that the nickname Mookie is just attached to my free child. Um, if you're a therapist, you, you understand what that means. But like my free child is, is a state of being to where like I'm able to fully express myself, be myself. Um, I can I can I don't have weight of the world or pressure or whatever. I can just be whoever I want to be in the moment. But Caleb can't necessarily do that because everything Caleb does is reflected on his last name. Mookie doesn't have a last name. It's just Mookie. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. you sharing. Yeah, I think that was good, Caleb. And I think a lot of what you said, I can I resonate with too. So I think for me, I've kind of tried to divide, you know, the different, you know, parts of me or these different roles that I have into almost like percentages in my head. So it's like, you know, this newly forming therapist part of me is like, it's pretty big, but it's not 100% of me. It's maybe I'll, I'll give it 10%. And it's like at certain times I focus on that 10%, but there's also the husband side of me. There's the friend, there's the son, there's the student, there's you know, the, the athlete, you know, that's, you know, not really doing anything anymore, but like, it's still there and I still hold on to that. Um, and so it's like, I think of all these different things that I put my energy and effort to, and I just remember that it is a piece. It is not the whole part. So if, you know, one of those things falls away, which actually kind of just happened to me about a month ago, um, so I grew up playing soccer and I, you know, realized I had missed it and I kind of wanted to get back into it. And I held the belief that, like, I can still play, like, even though I've broken my back twice and kind of nursed it and gotten better, like, I can still do that. I can still be, you know, run around like I was when I was 18. Um, so a friend of mine invited me to go play indoor soccer with him. Super excited. I, like, started, like, running again. I was, like, working out. I am so excited to get to be that part of me again. Um, played the game. And then at the end of it, I had that intense back pain that I knew what it was. And I was just like, I immediately knew I'm like, I can never do this again. Like this part of me, I have to let go, even though it was the first thing I fell in love with. And what was my entire identity growing up was a soccer player. 
I can never do that again. Like that part of my life is over. And there were a lot of tears and it, like, it was really hard to like let that part of me go because I had held on for so long that like, I can still play soccer. I can still have fun doing this thing that I love. And then I proved to myself that I can't. So like have recognizing that like that part of me can still be there and I can still love soccer and I can still think about it, but like playing it, that part of me is gone which just means I have to focus the energy on these other parts of me, on husband, therapist, student, you know, friend, son. Like, I still have this other 90% of me that's still great and good and I can put effort to and I can remember the part of me that played soccer and that can make me really happy and fill my cup up. But just because I can't do it anymore doesn't mean there aren't all these other parts I can focus on. Oh man, that is that's good. That's I like good. how you put it in these in the in the concept of parts. That's and I appreciate you sharing. And as someone who is also you know holding on to this athletic part of me, I, I like have this sadness for you because I I'm not at that point yet. But I had like an ACL injury last year, and to not be able to be back and playing basketball in the same way still is kind of just like. Yeah, it's hard, but we can learn to mourn when it's not all of us. You have you still have a sense of self that's left over when you kind of can slowly let these parts go and you can add new parts. Like you could discover next year that you love cooking and you want to I don't know go to culinary school, like that could be a new part. Mm-hmm. But you have, you know, to have that flexibility is really really freeing, I'm sure. Yeah, it is. And I think so often for men and I think people in general, like you put all your identity into one thing, you know, the athlete or the cook or the business owner or whatever that is. And then when that goes away, everything else just crumbles because, you know, 100% of who you are is now gone, whether it's sports, whether it's your job, whether it's your, your relationship, whatever, because you didn't have other parts of you you could focus on and realize that it's still there. I think that like perfect segue into like, the second section of the podcast is like listening to the Beasley interview, everything, everything, his being, his core, his identity, everything was tied to basketball. Boom. Right. <laughs> From a young age, he learned that Michael wasn't necessarily the people, what the people wanted. What people wanted from Michael was his ability to play basketball. And he talks about like, it just felt like they were like writing a check that they knew they were going to cash later. And like when he was sad, he played basketball. When he was angry, he played basketball. Everything he did was play basketball. I need like, this is the point of the podcast that broke me a little bit. He's crying. He said, all I ever wanted to do was just play basketball. And people, people treated me bad for that. It's like I would go to the club, somebody else would do something else over there. I would leave and go to the gym, but people would tweet about it like I was the one doing it. And it took away it took away his thing professionally at least. But even then he gets into the things like, okay, I don't go anywhere. I don't do anything. I don't have friends. All I have is basketball. When he said, like, I don't leave the house, I go and play basketball, basketball. and go home. Yeah, like that 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 heaviness, like, I wanted to cry, bro, because I'm just was like, that's it, right? That's all that it's, that, that's all he is in his mind. And that's the thing, it's not true. Going back to Dalen's point, like, these are lies. You're not what you do. 
we're more than that. There's more to Michael Beasley. And I think he let some of it show, but like there's more to all of us than just the last thing we did or the last career we held. Right. And, uh, I think we need help with that. I think that's probably where you're going. So I didn't want to cut you off. I'll throw it back over to you. No, like, no, no. That was a perfect assist. Go ahead, run with it. <laughs> like he, all he had was basketball. So we talk self worth and how we can get that sometimes tied up into, I won't say the wrong things, but overemphasized. You know, using Dalen's analogy of the percentages, like basketball was a hundred percent for him, and maybe it should have been thirty, right, or maybe hell, sixty even. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it's 100 and you can't do that thing to the level you want to do and you're sit asking yourself, like, what else is there? Who else am I? And you can tell that was a hard process for him. It's a hard process for anyone. You guys both talked about your experiences with how you're trying to reform your identities and you're putting the real work in. You're going to therapy you're doing these things. And. Another big topic that came from that in the podcast was him talking about, like, when I would go and ask for help, how do I fix, you know, my public persona or how do I fix some of these financial or behavioral things so that I can have the thing I really want, which is just to play basketball? Challenges were keeping him from what he really wanted. He's not on a team right now. And I'm still he I'm, I'm sure he's still probably really, really good. No reason why Michael Beasley can't be in the NBA, but all these other things that he didn't know how to handle kept him from what he really wanted. And he talked about how asking for help, he was just shunned, kind of. No one gave him the help he wanted. And that idea was kind of where we wanted to end with today. And kind of our last part of the conversation was like, men and asking for help, very tenuous relationship right very yeah. challenging relationship yeah let's get into it <laughs> picture the, the lost dad on the family vacation who's like just look at the map or pull over and ask for directions he's like no i know where right? i'm going <laughs> i got it i have to figure this out um well, let's open it up like what is what what are all the parts that i play with that idea of like why is it so hard for us to ask for help and when we do ask for help, why is it so hard for others? I think it's a two-part question. Why is it also so hard when a guy does ask for help for others to see a man in need and go, yeah, help him? It's, it's two-pronged. You're absolutely right. I think um, what I've seen happen in that, in that it's almost like a parasitic relationship. It's just taking, taking, taking when it should be a symbiotic relationship where there's an even amount of give and take. For some reason, somewhere in our sociology, anthropology, and psychology, it became unacceptable, especially in Western American culture, because I think it's actually more acceptable in the Eastern cultures. I don't know for sure, but in Africa, I know you like it's 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 collectivistic right which has its own flaws let me be the first to say you coming from a collectivistic culture it ain't all sweet over there it's a whole bag of worms we're going to leave for a different podcast but because we live in a very individualistic cult culture country and nation and mindset the idea that you need somebody else to help you 
somehow means that you are not good enough, which is the whole thing of like, you're not what you do. You're not what people say. You're not what you like all of that. You not being able to do something means you, 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 you lack an ability or you lack the strength or you lack the whatever. So lack means less than we've tied the, the not having the ability to to being less than or yeah. weaker than. And once and weakness is something that men in this men are just not comfortable with. It's, t- it's something we're taught to like we have to kill our weakness and die to our flesh and do all these things in order to survive. So something that's natural got tied to something that's unnatural. And so the idea of asking for help means somehow that we are not good enough, we're not capable of, we're not strong enough to do it ourselves. When in reality, true strength comes from being able to say, I can't do this on my own right now. I need, or I, I may require, or I, I want, which is even, which is the bigger one is, I want you to help me accomplish this. I want yeah. you to help me do this thing. And so getting away from looking at asking for help as a weakness and actually realizing it's true strength, it's true honesty, it's true vulnerability, like the ability to ask for help when you need it is one of the most vulnerable things you will ever do in your life. Courageous. Like courageous yeah. even. Courageous and 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 if we really just boil it down just smart. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. Nothing else is just logical. It is. And I want to touch on, I want to do my last touch point because it has two prongs. And I want, I want to hear from Dalen because I think you have a really interesting perspective on this. When men ask for help often, to women, I've heard it two ways. I can't be the one to help you with that. You got to find somebody else to help you with it. Or you're supposed to be the one helping me, right? Mm. In response from other men, here's what I've heard. No one helped me, why should I help you? Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the, I've heard so many other things, but that one right there, I think is the most detrimental response as a man to hear from another man is, And I'll even like, you know, use the hood version of like, figure it out. Didn't nobody help me out. What you want me to do for you ain't nobody do for me. If no one is helped, like if you're asking for help from someone who hasn't been helped, the reality is they can't help you because they don't know how to help you. And it gets into like this, this is maybe we should follow up on this podcast next week. It's like, how do you identify safe, healthy relationships where you can actually say, hey, I need help and they can help you or they can they can say, hey, I'm not the person to help you in a healthy way, because it's actually really if you can't help anyone, it's actually really healthy to say, hey, I can't help you right now. I'm not the person that can help you with this. Let's together work together to figure out what you need. But yeah, I want to hear from Dalen because I think you've got some really interesting perspectives on 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 this kind of particular response and feedback loop. That's interesting that you think that because I'm just like I, I don't know how my response is different, but I appreciate you thinking of me. Um, I think when people get asked help, I think there's this idea that they have to like 
give something away. Like, they can't, like, give somebody help and still help themselves. It's this, like, idea of, like, I... Even if I help you, like, I'm going to, like, absorb your weakness. Like, your weakness is going to rub off on me. And then, therefore, I'm going to have to start asking for help, which might actually be part of the solution. It's like, we all start asking help from each other, and we can help each other. But, like, there's this idea of, like, yeah, I just, I did it on my own, and it would be unfair if you got help when I did it. Yeah. I think might be a lot of it is like I've had to do this, I've had to suffer, and that old school mentality of like, you know, if things change, it's unfair because I didn't get to be part of that change. You know, if things are better now, I don't get to experience in that better. And like, if, if if I can't do that, you can't do it either. Like, if you can't ask for help because I didn't get to, like, you have to live in the same mistakes that I made and do it because tradition, this is how things have always been done. We've always manned up and done it ourselves and white knuckled it. Validation. And, it's like your man's ass means figure it out on your own and bump your yeah. head and grind and just, and just get there. Yeah, get there. And that's the way we've always done it. That's the way I'm doing it. That's the way you have to do it too. So, like, that gets put onto you all the time from strangers people we know yeah guys i just had this connection that made everything make sense and i promise we didn't plan it this way but to me at least in my mind how my brain works this is kind of how the self-worth and how attaching your self-worth to the wrong things or too heavily on maybe the right things leads into men's inability to get help and help one another right Think about it. I go back to Dalen. You set it up perfectly earlier, without even maybe meaning to, with those with those five lies. I am what I do, right? So the guy who has you know who who feels like he's worthy because of what he can do feels like that's what sets him apart. So another man coming up and saying, "Hey, could you show me how to do that?" puts at risk his very sense of self mm-hmm. unconsciously because if I feel like I'm here because I can do these things better than the next guy and I show you and I help you get to here, what am I? I've lost the thing that makes me sort of feel good enough and stand out amongst other people because now we're on the evil pl- even playing field. I think it's like that superiority over everybody else. You know, it's yeah. the, I am better. The and power dynamic. Like, I, the power dynamic. I'm better because I can do this on my own. I don't want to help anybody because then I'm not special anymore. And then I don't feel good about myself. Exactly. And to Kayla's point about how healthy it is to be able to say, hey, I can't help you. You can only do that when your sense of self is not tied up in what you can do because admitting you don't have the answers to someone who feels like they always should have the answers or they're not being a man or not enough, they're not going to be able to do that. Right. And so they want to say, I don't, Hey, don't bring that to me. You're putting at risk who I think I am. Right. One of the other lies that Dalen talked about was the lie that I am what I have. Mm-hmm. That could be tangible, but it could also be like knowledge. Right. So mm-hmm. Dalen, 
but like I don't want to give this away to you because if I give this over to you and now you have what I have again I don't stand out anymore I mm-hmm. that I just gave away the very thing that I've worked so hard to obtain yeah to feel good enough why give it to you for free you have to you have to have the scars to feel good enough like I do, right? It's only when we can sort of dismantle all those lies and realize that, like, me giving away my knowledge or expertise or skill or tangible things, if it's money, hey, I got 100 bucks. My friend needs 100 bucks. Like, you got it. It's only when we can sort of detach ourselves or at least loosen the attachment to those very things that we can be there for other men because we won't see it as this competitive thing where I've taken myself down a notch by helping you. It's like, no, that I'm still me despite that. So that's kind of, I don't know in my mind where all of that kind of ties together and kind of makes sense. Yeah, that's perfect. That's perfect. (laughs) So I, I think maybe in addition to, um, in the couple last minutes we have, um, maybe there's something, right? So a guy hearing that, he's like, okay, cool. Uh, I want to be more helpful. I want to build more community with men. I want to be able to ask for help, but also be able to receive help. But I don't know how to, <laughs> I don't know how to detach from these ideas that I've, or these roles that I've kind of attached myself to. What? So what do I do from there? Um, is there anything tangible or tools that have been helpful for you guys that um, maybe we could give to people who are hearing this and saying, like, I want to take an action step today, start to break down some of these things that I've attached my sense of self-worth to is maybe as just a little Kickstarter or something to reflect on. Yeah, I think um, a good self-start method um, is identification, right, and recognition, right? You have to identify your emotions. You have to recognize your emotions. Um, start with a journal, blank page. It doesn't have to be anything special. You don't have to go anywhere. Just start with a blank page. And just think about the last time you asked, you like you really needed help. You really needed help. You needed help from someone that you couldn't do something yourself. And I'm not talking about like hanging a shelf or or, or, or doing some physical name. Like you had a, a deep emotional need. I think, yeah, let's not even get away from the help. Like if you had a deep emotional need and you asked someone to help meet that need, what was their response and how did it make you feel? Think, process, and write that down. That'll open. That's like... It's like the gateway to Narnia, because once you open that door, it's a whole bunch of stuff that you haven't even thought about and processed is just going to come up. So start there. And if you can't come up with anything at all, that's also a hint that you're probably repressing and it's probably time mm-hmm. to talk to someone. Yeah. yeah, I think even on the other side of that is maybe trying to think of the time when people ask you for help, you know, mm-hmm. someone at work. The person on the side of the street asking for money, your family asking to, for help for whatever reason, like, and you said no and gave a bunch of excuses. Like, take an honest look and ask yourself why three times. Like, why did I not want to do this? Okay, that reason. Why because of that? 
and then look at that reason. Then why because of that? And then you're probably after those, you're going to get down to the core, like why you didn't want to give this help. Why you, why did you not want to do the thing that someone asked for you? And they came humbly and asked for help. And there was something inside you that didn't want to do it. And if you can figure that out and learn to grapple with whatever that thing is and kind of learn to deconstruct it and then maybe even move past it, like that can be huge. Like Caleb said, just that awareness. Just begin to think and take an honest look at your intentions and your thoughts. And if you can get to there, then you can learn to, you know, take the next steps. So you guys offered two kind of journalistic, reflective, cerebral things. I'll offer one tool that's been super helpful for me that's a little more like visualization, mm-hmm. just so that people who may be on either side of the spectrum can, can have something that they can maybe try. <clears throat> so this was an exercise that I used that was helpful specifically in sort of identifying um, and breaking down some of the things that I had attached myself with, like who I am, right? It's not what I do or have. Um, it's not how others see me. It's, it's something else, something that remains when you strip all that away, right? So a visualization exercise that I like to do is I picture myself in all the different roles that I play in life. Son, brother, therapist, partner, right? Romantic partner, friend, college basketball player, all these different things. Even So the first thing is visualize all those things. You could even write them down. And imagine that, let's say for me, a therapist, I would imagine that I'm no longer a therapist and I can never practice therapy again, right? So that's gone. Then I imagine that I was never, uh, you know, you don't have to go the morbid route of picture your parents like dying or anything, but you could visualize just not being those roles you play. You're not a son, you're not a brother, not a you're not a friend you're, you're just looking at you and kind of in this computer simulation almost right just as you are today absent of any title any job you don't even know anyone you just plopped here kind of like a sim character and you showed up what would remain hmm. right the traits the natural things that you kind of just tend to move and gravitate toward the things that can't be stripped away from you by any title, the things that don't rely on a relationship with someone else to exist. And write those down if something comes up for you. It may be interests you have. It may be passions you have. It may be just kind of natural character traits, like a pretty generous guy, right? Those kinds of things, um, when they come up, jot them down. And those can sometimes be really good starting point to think about like, yeah, who am I absent of all this otherworldly stuff? And think about ways that you can lean on those things to kind of be markers of who you are versus the stuff that can be so easily taken away, right? We can lose our, all three of us could lose our license tomorrow. You know, a sport can be taken away. You could get injured and never play another game in your life. As hard as it is to think about, our roles and relations to other people can go away. We can lose loved ones. Relationships can end. So we have to lean on the things that can sustain us. We have to lean on the things that that aren't so, I think, fickle maybe is the word, mm-hmm. right? Come and go. 
Um, if we lean on those things, we'll have the freedom to express how we feel in a moment, to be more genuine and authentic, and to give of ourselves, and to ask for others to give of us because those things aren't threats to who we are. So, kind of a deeper visualization exercise that was really helpful for me when I was kind of starting to figure all this stuff out. I think that's great. I think I'm going to go do that after this. Yeah. I'm about to say, I was like, I might try to do that while taking a bath, actually sit in water, experience buoyancy. I can't wow. swim, so I got to do it in a bath. If I do it in a pool, y'all going to have to do a podcast without me next week. <laughs> well, hey, you said buoyancy. If you can teach uh, me how to float, I can never get that right. I can't float either. I've never met anyone else who can't float. Like, I'm just so dense, I just sink Straight to the, to the bottom. bottom like a rock. Yeah. You're hearing this and you want to exercise the skill of, of helping. We are <laughs> we need help. inviting people to teach us how to float. There's uh, your first first exercise. Reach out yeah, to yeah. us. And they and, and, and an exercise and reaching out for help. Everyone, we just want to say a quick thank you for listening to this podcast. This thing was born out of a labor of love. We um do this because we care and we believe in it and we're passionate about the topic. Um, so we would greatly appreciate it if you liked, commented, shared with the people you care about. Um, the algorithm really cares about reviews. So if you're listening to this podcast on Spotify or Apple Music, we would love a review from you and a comment from you. The feedback really does help. Um, and outside of that, do something for yourself today. I've been Caleb. These have been my co-hosts, Dalen and Jordan. We are the Men's Wellness Collective. We appreciate you, and we will see you next week. Mm -hmm.